Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, you know I grew up in a baseball family. My dad played professional baseball. I grew up knowing and loving and playing baseball. It's got a, uh, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for baseball. There is uh, sort of a rhythm to the game that, uh, that uh, uh, sort of invites conversation and uh, good storytelling. And, and it's interesting with the pitch clock coming into baseball. I find that um, I wonder what Ben Scully would have done with the pitch clock. Really, because you've got Vin Scully, who is so good with telling stories over the years. And so good, like, you know, I'll just give you an example. Like, you know, here, here's a little Vin Scully talking about why, why, the, uh, uh, why baseball players did and did not wear beards. I'm not going to do it now because there's two out and the base is empty. But sometime during the game... If you've been like the way I have been, looking at players with these big beards, I decided I'm going to do a little research on beards. So during the game, yeah, there's plenty of them around. We'll tell you a couple of stories as we go through it. Two down, second inning, no score. Now Scully goes on for the next four and a half minutes to tell stories about beards between the pitches. I kind of wonder, with the pitch clock, what happens to storytelling in baseball. But our next guest has written a book, Backyards to Ballparks, that may help fill in the blank. What's your favorite memory connected to baseball? It's a simple question. Eric Gray is an author. He's coming to Portland to talk about his book. Uh, Eric, welcome to the program. John, thank you so much for making time. You bet. Like, Give me an idea. Like, What, what was the spark that said to you, hey, I need to write this? Yeah, I wish I could say it was something profound, but it was actually pretty simple. I was at a ball game with my wife and my daughter and a friend. And, you know, as you kind of alluded to, there's something about the pace of the game that enables you to just relax, look out the field. And in my case, surprisingly, I was just thinking. And I asked them, what's your favorite game that you've ever been to? And they gave me their answers. And then I went ahead and asked a whole bunch of friends, and it was, frankly, the story. Uh, I, one of the friends I asked on an email is someone who likes baseball less than anybody I've ever known. And I included him in this email chain just to give him a hard time because that's what we do with each other. And his story was so personal and so intense. It's the only game he'd ever been to. But that gave me the spark for writing this book. I knew, I knew that I had to do it. Eric, uh, you know, you're coming to Portland. You're going to sign books and tell stories with people and share laughs. Uh, This will be taking place Wednesday, June 14th, next Wednesday, 4 o'clock, meet and mingle at McMiniman's Broadway Pub on uh, Northeast Broadway. But give people an idea. This book's available in bookstores, available on Amazon. Um, You know, as you write the book, do you find yourself, you know, gravitating towards more stories, or how do you organize a book like this? That's a really interesting question. Um, It took eight years from the time I asked that question until I put my first book out. My first book is called Bases to Bleachers, which, by the way, is the name of the website, basestobleachers.com. And 
the reason it took so long is because I kept getting greedier and greedier, wanting more and more stories because the kinds of stories I got just amazed me. I mean, I, I was not prepared for the kinds of things I was going to get from people. It wasn't like I went to a, a ball game and it was a triple play. I mean, if you tell me that, that's great. If you tell me you were at Hank Aaron's 715th home run, that's great. But if that's all you tell me, there's no story there. There's nothing that would make somebody want to read a book of stories like that. Um, by the time I did my first book, uh, I had 1,200 stories from around the world. There are 15 countries represented in that first book. And what happened was it just became a question of how to chapter it. And as we say here in California, it kind of happened organically. As the stories came, as I looked at them, I realized that they really, in many cases, not all, they fell into very neat chapters. You know, my time on the field, which was about people not playing in a game, but but they were on the field in a major league game and why, or, you know, not quite the major leagues. Um, the most important chapters um, involve family. It was called generation to generation, family in baseball. And the other one is what baseball means to me, because I realized uh, in reading these stories that for many, many people, baseball was a lot more than just, oh, I really love this game. I mean, for some people, they just, thought it was absolutely critical part of their life and in a couple of cases even feel like baseball saved their life. One of the stories in the book is about it involves Hank Aaron in a in a music uh, mixtape. Can you share Correct. that one with us? Yeah. Um and this is a, a it's a great example for me to give on for many reasons. This is written by a guy Scott Goldman who um I met through this project. He was on a baseball Facebook group, and I just wrote him a message, and I said, I'm writing this book. Do you have a story you'd want to contribute? And he gave me this story. Now, I'll explain the story in a minute, but the reason it's so important is because Scott and I have become very close personal friends. Uh, we've only seen each other three or four times, but we have just become very close friends. His story is about um, wanting to send Hank Aaron. He knew Hank Aaron loved music, and he wanted to send him a mixtape because Scott was a, was a DJ at the time. Interestingly, I was a DJ in college um, around the same time. And he just sent this tape to Hank Aaron, who got it and wound up, you know, it's kind of a long story. I'm obviously going to kind of uh, make it brief here. And the two of them were in touch for a while, and Scott was in Atlanta for business, and he spent some time with uh, with with Hank, and um, it's just an amazing story. The reason he wanted to do that tape is because he wanted Hank Aaron to know that. Well, how do I put this intelligently? That not everybody was a racist, because Scott was mm -hmm. talking about how we just couldn't believe the kinds of things that Hank Aaron was, you know, had to endure um, as he was, you know, on the road to to breaking Babe Ruth's record. Our guest, Eric Gray, he's written a book. It is called um, The uh, Backyards to Ballparks, More Personal Baseball Stories from the Stands and Beyond. Give me an idea. Like, I, I, don't, get the, I don't get the impression that you have to love baseball to, to love the stories because some of the stories aren't really about baseball. They're about relationships and families. I would say, I would say the, the large number of stories are not about play of game. You're correct. Um, you don't have to love baseball to love this book. 
you don't have to love baseball to have a story in the book. I mean, there are people in that have stories in this book that aren't baseball fans. They just happen to love the game. And one of the stories in the first book, and I always talk about this one um, because it was really uh, critical in terms of how I put the book together. I spent my career working for Job Corps. And for those of you who live in the Portland area, there's a Job Corps center um, in Springdale and there's one in Astoria. And uh, a friend of mine who I had mentored, um, we had lost touch and I got back in touch with her when we were visiting family in Minneapolis. And she said, I don't really have a story for you. I don't really like, ba- I don't know baseball very well. Her story was basically about meeting a guy in a bar while she was waiting for her friend, having a great conversation with this guy. And when her friend came, she said to this, to this man, I really enjoyed talking to you. We didn't exchange names. My name is Sarah. And he said, it's nice to meet you, Sarah. My name is Ernie Banks. And she had no idea who that was. And, um, you know, the long and short of it is when her friend told her, oh, my God, don't you know who that is? You've got to get his autograph. Sarah went up to Ernie and said, wow, you must have been some great basketball player. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, you know, Sarah likes baseball, but she doesn't care about it that much. And that story was so important because it helped me realize that I had to make the structure of the book fit my content, not cramming my content into some predetermined structure. You you are uh, an East Coast guy who's found some love for the West Coast. You're a Giants fan. We have that in common. Um, you know, I, I grew up on, uh, you know, sort of the Robbie Thompson, Will Clark Giants. But before that, it was Johnny LaMaster and Mike Ivey, and they weren't very good. But they were my team, and it was Candlestick Park. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes when I think about base, good baseball stories and great fans, I don't think about the winners. I think about the fans who were loyal and were there and followed their teams, that, you know, like Cubs fans did. Right, right. Um, I'm a Giants fan. I'm also a Mets fan because I am from New York, and I I won't go through my rather um, uh, confusing uh, uh, baseball lineage. But my first, and this is in the introduction to my first book, it, it was about taking my kids to their first game when um, when Rachel was eight and David was four, and Rachel brought about 200,000 books with her because she knew she'd be really bored. She never read a single um a single word. The only thing she read was a scorecard that I bought in the scoreboard. And six years later, at the age of 14, she started working for the Giants in guest services and still does. And, you know, uh, Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper, the great Giants announcers, they love her to death. And um, and here's this girl who just thought she'd be bored, who's become a lifelong baseball fan. Love that. I love that. Eric, what are you going to do at the event coming up next wednesday because uh you know people will show up and again it's wednesday next wednesday four o'clock mcmenamin's broadway pub on northeast broadway eric will be there to share some stories but you know what kind of format do will you have for the event yeah this is a, a different one and i'm really kind of excited about it your friend and mine george set this up um usually i do a little talk about how the book came together chaptering it how i went through collecting stories and then I read stories for, you know, 45 minutes or so. George is doing this in more of, a, of an interview format. I mean, he's going to ask me a bunch of questions, which is great because they really, in some ways, align pretty closely with the kinds of things I talk about in my introduction. And I'll read stories for about 20 minutes or so. I mean, so that people that are there can get a sense of, of what the book is about. Um, the book, uh, the stories 
you know, run the gamut from being just absolutely hilarious to being um, tear-inducing. I mean, you know, one of and these are from the first book, but, you know, one of the stories, I mean, everybody knows about the movie The League of Their Own. Um, I'm guessing most people know that it was based on a real league. Well, I got a story in the first book from a woman who played in that league, Maybelle Blair, and I was lucky enough to meet her a couple of months ago in Phoenix at a baseball conference. Um, so I'll be reading stories that really run the gamut of what I think this book is. And, you know, if there was a tagline for a book like, you know, like you have for a movie, it would be these are stories that make you laugh, tear up, and remember. Um, I'm probably going to start, George and I were talking about this yesterday, we'll probably start reading, uh, we'll start our, our the program about uh, 20 to 5, so people will get there between 4 and 4.15, have a chance to talk and grab a bite to eat or a drink or something, and I'll start about about 4.40. Eric, I really appreciate you giving us some of your time for people interested in the book. You can find it on Amazon, Backyards to Ballparks by Eric Gray. Eric, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. Can I just say one more thing, please? Yeah, yes, the books are available online. If anybody wants a, um, a signed copy for me, for what that's worth, I mean, I'm not Stephen King famous, but you can contact me through the website, basistobleachers.com, or my email address, which is, it's long, but it's simple. It's eric.baseballstories at gmail. If anybody wants to get a, a copy of the book like that, it's my pleasure. And, of course, I will have them available next Wednesday. Thank and you, Thank Eric. you, John, for making yeah, time for me today. I appreciate it. Good stuff there from Eric Gray. I love the storytelling. Vin Scully finishes his story on Beards. I'll play that coming up. And I do wonder about the pitch clock in baseball. Like, I think it's good. It speeds the games up. That's great. But I kept thinking, like, a byproduct that nobody thought about was probably uh, a couple things. Like, uh, you know, broadcasters, are they less important now? Storytelling during games, is that going the way, you know, going away? I don't know. It's not like they're cutting the games down to nothing, but I can't see Vin Scully operating on a pitch clock. Leave it here. Vin Scully, one of the best ever. One of the best ever. I love uh, I love baseball. I love baseball broadcasters. I love a sunny, warm day and uh, a baseball game on in the background. And uh, Vin Scully, nobody better. But I, you know, with the pitch clock, I have wondered: are we uh, are we treading into territory where we're messing with the broadcasters? Or not. Maybe I'm wrong. But you tell me. Listen to this clip. Vince Scully explaining uh, beards. He noted uh, a couple, few years ago that a bunch of players in the league had these massive beards. And uh, it started this conversation. Again, there's two outs when this is happening. Keep that in mind because if you are a uh, baseball person, you know, Scully kind of talks about the beginning of this thing like, Hey, there's two outs. I'm not going to have time to tell this story. And then listen to what happens. We'll tell you a couple of stories as we go through it. Two down, second inning, no score. And first pitch, fastball, first right. First of all, they say way back to the dawn of humanity, beards evolved, number one, because ladies like them. And number two, it was the idea of frightening off adversaries and wild animals. Here's the one strike pitch swung on and missed strike two. In fact, it was so serious, if you look it up, there's a divine mandate for beards in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
No balls and two strikes they count. Stripling from the first base side of the rubber. Strike two pitch to Norris as promptly hit into right field and it lands in front of Kike for a base hit. So Norris a two out single to right and that will bring up Jamile Weeks. Weeks. There became a time where Greek dramatists mind the popular prejudice against clean-shaven men. Back then, clean-shaven men were looked as the, oh, maybe effeminate. And then along came Alexander the Great. That's another story. Alexander the Great was not only great, but he also thought he was the greatest-looking man in the world. Oh, absolutely. Stripling ready, delivers, gets a strike. And Alexander the Great said, there is no reason to cover up my beautiful face with a beard. And so all of a sudden, it started to disappear. I love the idea that he felt he was so beautiful. One, one strike, Stripling ready, looks over at Norris, back to the hitter, and that's lined into left field for a base hit. Norris goes to second. So back-to-back -back base hits with two out, and the batter will be Adam Rosales. After Alexander the Great wanted clean-shaven people, it got so that the University of Paris banned long-bearded men from the lecture halls. That's back in 1533, and a few years later, the city's chief court outlawed beards on judges and advocates and then you got to be the Russian strongman who liked a shaved face but long wigs the first pitch in for a strike did you know that the first woman female king of Egypt wore a fake beard to convince people that she was a man yeah her name was Hathsput Here's the strike one pitch on the way. Stripling's pitch in the dirt. Throw down at Utley. Not in time. One ball and one strike to count. Then, of course, you come to Abraham Lincoln, who was clean shaven. And a little 11-year-old girl named Grace Bedell, she said to Mr. Lincoln, if you would grow a beard, my daddy has a beard, and my mother will tease him to vote for you. So Abraham Lincoln grew a beard. And of course that came up when uh, his chief rival said to him, you're two-faced. And Abraham Lincoln said, if I were two-faced, would I have the face that I'm wearing now? So he answered him pretty well. Two and one account. Stripling in a little trouble here. The 2-1 pitch on the way is taken for a strike, 2-2. Two two. In 1976, the Supreme Court ruled that Americans do not have a legal right to grow beards or mustaches as they choose if their employer demands a clean face. Ah, yes, the beards. Here's the 2-2 pitch on the way. Stripling set over the top, pitches low, ball three. 
There's Vince Scully uh, with two outs, doing what Vince Scully could do so well. Uh, Great broadcasters in baseball. Scully, uh, maybe the best of all time in telling stories. And And I only bring that up because... I keep thinking about the pitch clock. I think it's. I think there's some positive byproducts. I've really enjoyed kind of seeing it. You know, you're seeing pitchers adjust, hitters adjust. It's fine. We're not seeing the the uh, the uh, uproar that we saw in spring training or in the early part of the season. And in that that respect, uh, you know, it's largely probably been good for baseball. I think at this point, we have to acknowledge that you know the returns now are. Hey, yeah, it's speeding up the game. Hey, yeah, it's great for this. But I, I want to, I still want to see a full season of this, and I still want to see if baseball will adjust at all to uh, what has happened on the field. Still, I'm left thinking about Ben Scully. I'm left thinking about, you know, Harry Carey. I'm left thinking about all those uh, great broadcasters who told stories between pitches, and I'm thinking, gosh, is that lost? Or is the art changed? Or do you have to speed up the story? Is, isn't it more of the fact that it's it's – programmed to TV rather than radio now. Like, they're trying to cater to the product so it looks better on TV rather than what they care about it would be on radio. Because on radio, it's great to hear these stories. Where on TV, they don't need to tell the stories. They want the game to get going. They want you to watch the game. They want to, they want to sell commercials. They want to get to the break, you know. Or they want to put a scrolling commercial that they can sell uh, in the background of the broadcast. You know, I think, you know, look around when you're watching your games. You know, you watch a college football game. What do you see? You see the the insurance company and the hands on the back of the net, right? You know, it, it, maybe you don't notice it in the course of the game, but it's there. Um, you know, I've been talking to somebody about that kind of advertising, and I've and I found out I'm writing a piece on this, so I'll I'll give the uh, listeners who are listening a little bit of foreshadow. But you know, you know when you go when you watch a college football game and you see them put the nets up, and you see that you know all state good hands uh, thing that's on the net. You know, all states paying for that, but the broadcast is also getting some of that revenue, not just the stadium. So anything that appears on the broadcast is uh, resulting in revenue for the broadcasters as well. You have to cut ESPN, you have to cut Fox or whoever's broadcasting that game in on the deal. But you're right, TV is driving the bus on all of this. And I do think, like, sometimes, you know, they're simulcasting the television announcement on on uh you know on uh, radio and in some cases too they have just altogether gone all in with the investment on TV and and aren't investing in great radio broadcast anymore uh here's Harry Carey between pitches talking cracker jacks I know what the big deal about Cracker Jack is. Did you ever go buy a pack of Cracker Jack thinking you'd get a prize and find no prize <laughs> in the box here's the pitch that might not sound important to some people, but when, you, when you're a little kid, especially from a humble origin, and they cheat you out of a prize, there's a bouncing ball. Second baseman has a Barbary over the first. It's hard to think in laudatory terms of the product. <laughs> I think if there was an occasional box of Cracker Jacks that found no prizes for... Uh, the, the, for the little Harry Carey many years ago. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> and boy, when a box of Cracker Jack to me meant a lot of money. Here's a pitch bounce foul. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. One ball, one strike. These guys say, well, you, 
you sing about Cracker Jack. I said that I only sing it because it's in the song. Here's a pitch foul back. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised, even to this day, some youngsters who buy a box of Cracker Jack don't find a prize in the box. One ball, two strikes, two out. Well, if you're going to talk about our congressman being crooked, here's a pitch foul out of play. Why not talk about commercial products that don't do what they represent to do? Harry Carey right there. So Vin Scully and Harry Carey, I gave you both. I kind of wonder uh, where it's going with broadcasting and, and play-by-play. we got a great show for you tomorrow. Grab a podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.